Chapter Two of Arsène Lupin by Maurice Leblanc, translated by Edgar Jepson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: The Coming of the Charolais. Sonia went back to her table, and once more began putting wedding cards in their envelopes and addressing them. Germain moved restlessly about the room, fidgeting with the bric-a-brac on the cabinets, shifting the pieces about interrupting sonia to ask whether she preferred this arrangement or that throwing herself into a chair to read a magazine getting up in a couple of minutes to straighten a picture on the wall throwing out all the while idle questions not worth answering ninety-nine human beings would have been irritated to exasperation by her fidgeting sonia endured it with a perfect patience Five times Germain asked her whether she should wear her heliotrope or her pink gown at a forthcoming dinner at Madame de Heusières. Five times Sonia said, without the slightest variation in her tone, I think you look better in the pink. And all the while the pile of addressed envelopes rose steadily. Presently the door opened, and Alfred stood on the threshold. Two gentlemen have called to see you, miss he said. "'Ha! Huh, the two du cried Germain. "'They didn't give their names, miss.' "'A gentleman in the prime of life and a younger one?' said Germain. "'Yes, miss.' "'I thought so. Show them in.' "'Yes, miss. And have you any orders for me to give to Victoire when we get to Paris?' said Alfred. "'No. Are you starting soon?' "'Yes, miss. We're all going by the seven o'clock train. It's a long way from here to Paris. We shall only reach it at nine in the morning.' That will give us just time to get the house ready for you by the time you get there tomorrow evening, said Alfred. Is everything packed? Yes, miss, everything. The cart has already taken the heavy luggage to the station. All you'll have to do is to see after your bags. That's all right. Show Monsieur Dubuis and his brother in, said Germain. She moved to a chair near the window, and disposed herself in an attitude of studied and obviously studied grace as she leant her head at a charming angle back against the tall back of the chair, her eyes fell on the window, and they opened wide. "'Why, well, whatever's this?' she cried, pointing to it. "'Whatever's what?' said Sonia, without raising her eyes from the envelope she was addressing. "'Why, the window! Look! One of the panes has been taken out. It looks as if it had been cut.' "'So it has. Just at the level of the fastening,' said Sonia and the two girls stared at the gap. "'Haven't you noticed it before?' said Germain. "'No. The broken glass must have fallen outside,' said Sonia. The noise of the opening of the door drew their attention from the window. Two figures were advancing towards them, a short, round, tooby man of fifty-five, red-faced, bald, with bright grey eyes, which seemed to be continually dancing away from meeting the eyes of any other human being. Behind him came a slim young man, dark and grave. For all the difference in their colouring, it was clear that they were father and son. Their eyes were set so close together. The son seemed to have inherited, along with her black eyes, his mother's nose, thin and aquiline. The nose of the father started thin from the brow, but ended in a scarlet bulb, eloquent, of an exhaustive acquaintance with the vintages of the world. Germain rose, 
looking at them with an air of some surprise and uncertainty. These were not her friends, the Dubuis. The elder man, advancing with a smiling bonhomie, bowed, and said in an adenoid voice, ingratiating of tone, "'A Monsieur Charolais, young ladies, Monsieur Charolais, retired brewer, chevalier of the Legion of Honor, Landoward Rennes, I mean to introduce my son.' The young man bowed awkwardly. "'We came from Rennes this morning, and we lunched at Keller's farm.' "'Shall I order tea for them?' whispered Sonia. "'Gracious, no!' said Germaine sharply under her breath. Then louder she said to Monsieur Charolais, "'And what is your object in calling?' "'We ask to see your father,' said Monsieur Charolais, smiling with broad amiability, while his eyes danced across her face, avoiding any meeting with hers. The footman told me that Monsieur Gournay-Martin was out, but that his daughter was at home, and we were unable, quite unable, to deny ourselves the pleasure of meeting you, with that he sat down, and his son followed his example. Sonia and Germaine, taken aback, looked at one another in some perplexity. "'What a fine chateau, papa,' said the young man. "'Yes, my boy, it's a very fine chateau,' said Monsieur Charolais, looking round the hall with appreciative but greedy eyes. There was a pause. "'It's a very fine chateau, young ladies,' said Monsieur Charolais. "'Yes,' "'Excuse me, what is it you have called about?' said Germain. Monsieur Charolais crossed his legs, leant back in his chair, thrust his thumbs into the armholes of his waistcoat, and said, "'Well, we've come about the advertisement we saw in the Rennes advertiser, that Monsieur Gournemartin wanted to get rid of a motor-car, and my son is always saying to me, "'I should like a motor-car which rushes the hills, papa.' He means a sixty horsepower. We've got a sixty horsepower, but it's not for sale. My father is even using it himself today, said Germain. Perhaps it's the car we saw in the stable yard, said Monsieur Charolais. No, that's a thirty to forty horsepower. It belongs to me. But if your son really loves rushing hills, as you say, we have a hundred horsepower car, which my father wants to get rid of. Wait. Where's the photograph of it, Sonia? It ought to be here somewhere. The two girls rose, went to a table set against the wall beyond the window, and began turning over the papers with which it was loaded in the search for the photograph. They had barely turned their backs when the hand of young Charolais shot out as swiftly as the tongue of a lizard catching a fly, closed round the silver statuette on the top of the cabinet beside him, and flashed it into his jacket pocket. Charolais was watching the two girls. One would have said that he had eyes for nothing else, yet, without moving a muscle of his face, set in its perpetual beaming smile, he hissed in an angry whisper, "'Drop it, you idiot! Put it back!' The young man scowled askance at him. "'Curse you! Put it back!' hissed Charolais. The young man's arm shot out with the same quickness and the statuette stood in its place. There was just the faintest sigh of relief from Charolais, as Germain turned and came to him with the photograph in her hand. She gave it to him. "'Ah, here we are,' he said, putting on a pair of gold-rimmed pince-nez. "'A hundred-horsepower car. Well, well, this is something to talk over. What's the least you'll take for it?' "'I have nothing to do with this kind of thing,' 
cried Germain. "'You must see my father. "'He will be back from Rennes soon. "'Then you can settle the matter with him.' Monsieur Charolais rose and said, "'Very good. "'We will go now and come back presently. "'I'm sorry to have intruded on you, young ladies, "'taking up your time like this.' "'Not at all, not at all,' murmured Germain politely. "'Good-bye, good-bye,' said Monsieur Charolais, "'and he and his son went to the door and bowed themselves out. "'What creatures!' said Germain, going to the window, "'as the door closed behind the two visitors. "'All the same. "'If they do buy the hundred horsepower, "'Papa will be awfully pleased. "'It is odd about that pain. "'I wonder how it happened.' "'It's odd, too, that Jacques hasn't come back yet. "'He told me that he would be here between half-past four and five. "'And the Dubuis have not come, either,' said Sonia. "'But it's hardly five yet.' "'Yes, that's so. "'The Dubuis have not come, either. "'What on earth are you wasting your time for?' "'She added, sharply raising her voice. "'Just finishing addressing those letters while you're waiting.' "'They're nearly finished,' said Sonia. "'Nearly isn't quite. "'Get on with them, can't you?' snapped Germain. Sonia went back to the writing-table. Just the slightest deepening of the faint pink roses in her cheeks marked her sense of Germain's rudeness. After three years as companion to Germain Gournay-Martin, she was well inured to millionaire manners. They had almost lost the power to move her. Germain dropped into a chair for twenty seconds, then flung out of it. Ten minutes to five! she cried. Jacques is late. It's the first time I've ever known him late. She went to the window and looked across the wide stretch of meadowland and woodland on which the chateau, set on the very crown of the ridge, looked down. The road, running with the irritating straightness of so many of the roads of France, was visible for a full three miles. It was empty. Perhaps the duke went to the Chateau de Rosières to see his cousin, though I fancy that at bottom the duke does not care very much for the Baron de Rosières. They always look as though they detested one another, said Sonia, without raising her eyes from the letter she was addressing. You've noticed that, have you? said Germain. Now, as far as Jacques is concerned, he's... he's so indifferent. Nonetheless, when we were at the Rosières on Thursday... I caught him quarrelling with Paul de Rosières. Quarrelling? said Sonia sharply, with a sudden uneasiness in air and eyes and voice. Yes, quarrelling, and they said good-bye to one another in the oddest way. But surely they shook hands, said Sonia. Not a bit of it. They bowed as if each of them had swallowed a poker. Why, then, then said Sonia, starting up with a frightened air, and her voice stuck in her throat. "'Then what?' said Germain, a little startled by her panic-stricken face. "'The duel! Monsieur de Rosières' duel!' cried Sonia. "'What? You don't think it was with Jacques?' "'I don't know. But this quarrel, the Duke's manner this morning, the Dubuis drive,' said Sonia. "'Of course!' "'Of course! It's quite possible. In fact, it's certain!' cried Germain. "'It's horrible!' gasped Sonia. "'Consider. Just consider. Suppose something happened to him. Suppose the Duke—' "'He 
It's me the Duke's fighting about, cried Germain proudly, with a little skipping jump of triumphant joy. Sonia stared through her without seeing her. Her face was a dead white. Fear had chilled the luster from her skin. Her breath panted through her parted lips, and her dilated eyes seemed to look on some dreadful picture. Germain pirouetted about the hall at the very height of triumph. To have a duke fighting a duel about her was far beyond the wildest dreams of snobbishness. She chuckled again and again, and once she clapped her hands and laughed out loud. He's a fighting swordsman of the first class, an invincible swordsman. You said so yourself, Sonia muttered in a tone of anguish. And there's nothing to be done, nothing. She pressed her hands to her eyes, as if to shut out a hideous vision. Germain did not hear her. She was staring at herself in a mirror, and brittling to her own image. Sonia tottered to the window, and stared down at the road along which must come the tidings of weal or irremediable woe. She kept passing her hand over her eyes, as if to clear their vision. Suddenly she started, and bent forward, rigid, all her being concentrated in the effort to see. Then she cried, Mademoiselle Germain, look, look. What is it? said Germain, coming to her side. A horseman, look, there, said Sonia, waving a hand towards the road. Yes, and isn't he galloping? said Germain. It's he, it's the Duke, cried Sonia. Do you think so? said Germain doubtfully. I'm sure of it, sure. Well, he gets here just in time for tea, said Germain in a tone of extreme satisfaction. He knows that I hate to be kept waiting. He said to me, I shall be back by five, at the latest, and here he is. It's impossible, said Sonia. He has to go all the way round the park. There's no direct road. The brook is between us. All the same, he's coming in a straight line, said Germain. It was true. The horseman had left the road, and was galloping across the meadow straight for the brook. In twenty seconds he reached its treacherous bank, and as he set his horse at it, Sonia covered her eyes. "'He's over!' said Germain. "'My father gave three hundred guineas for that horse!' End of chapter 2